ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930 present The Drive. The Drive with Paul Swan. Welcome in. It is the Tuesday, June 5th edition. Your drive starts now here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan. Today on the program, we're going to recap Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals. we got Matt Geica joining us from Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Also, we're going to talk to Marshall Thundering Herd junior catcher Reynaldo Pastrana. He's just one of three finalists for the Johnny Bench Award, so we're going to talk to him a little bit later on the program. And, of course, take your phone calls at 877-420-TALK, 877-420-8255. And, of course, uh, when we talk to Matt here in a few minutes, we'll really get into what happened last night. Washington just rolled over Vegas 6-2. Game 4. We've got Game 5 guaranteed because they split the first two games in Vegas. Going back to Vegas, but... You got everybody's score on this game, including T.J. Oshie. He had a, a great game. It was an all-out team assault, blitzkrieg style on Vegas. Vegas just seems to have lost their mojo. So we're going to talk to Matt a little bit about that. Um, Braden Holby, 28 of 30 shots, saves. Only let two in. Pretty good. Another interesting story today, Oliver Luck is leaving his position as NCAA Executive Vice President. He's going to become the commissioner and CEO of the XFL. Now, I bet you're wondering, why would you leave a cush job like NCAA Executive Vice President to become part of the XFL? It's a league that you're basically building from scratch. Here is what he uh, said. He said, The XFL will be a labor of love as I get to combine my experience as a player and executive. He said he was thrilled to have the unique opportunity to reimagine the game that has been a constant in his life for 40 years. That's a pretty bold move. And, of course, he's going to be working with Vince McMahon, and he's obviously going to have a huge role in shaping what this new professional football venture will be. I just don't know if it's the right choice. Unless you're just getting a pretty good paycheck, you're getting paid, you're going to have money, you're taken care of, and then maybe you're just doing it for the challenge. There are some guys who just need a new challenge. He's at West Virginia for a while, then he leaves. And now he's leaving again. Great job, I would think, at the NCAA. He's leaving there. He also has some familiarity. He was involved with the NFL Europe for many years. He's got familiarity here. He could run a sports league. He's got the skill set. I'm just curious, why at this time would you take on this challenge? I don't think that means there's anything going on at the NCAA or there's any dissatisfaction. He pretty much echoed that himself. No dissatisfaction, just a great opportunity here. And he seems to be on the same page with Vince McMahon. So whatever that page may be, those guys seem to be getting along and he's going to be shaping the XFL. Now, I'm going to watch. I can't tell you how long I'm going to watch this thing, but one, Vince McMahon's behind it. At least I'm going to get entertained for a little while. I can't say how long, but there will be some entertainment factor here, too. I think after the first go-around, it was really sobering for him. It was truly a experience that, you know what? A lot of people wouldn't have taken that opportunity. 
just to go out there, put yourself out there, put the time, energy, and money to go and try this. And he went out there, and it failed. I don't think it was complete disaster. The guy put himself out there, tried to put something new together. I give him credit for that. A lot of people won't do that. It's terrifying. Now, he had a lot of money to fall back on. Don't think that he was a uh, sob story here. Trust me. He had some cash to fall back on. So, now they're going to try it again. They bring in Oliver Luck. He's trying to put together a real football league this time. I think the first go-around was more show than substance, even though they had some innovative ideas. They had some some fun with that. Now we're talking about a competitor to the NFL possibly, or at least filling a void where the NFL's not. And there'll be cities that bid for this. There'll be a lot of people. And you know what? We've got multiple leagues in all sports. XFL might not be as big as the NFL, but you know what? Why not give it a shot? You've got Meyer League, of course, in baseball. You've got different hockey leagues. Uh, most are Meyer League to the NHL. I'm not saying that's going to be the route for the XFL. It's not going to be Meyer League to the NFL. But USFL, I missed that. I remember it. There's some good football being played there. That was fun. So maybe you try to capture some of that. So Oliver Luck is going to be heading up that venture, going to be part of that. So I wish him luck there. Now, you know we've been following Conference USA's attempt to spice up the basketball schedule, try to bring a little bit more relevance to Conference USA, try to toughen it up, make sure that the top teams have got a better shot at getting into the NCAA as an at-large, try to get more than one bid. Sunbelt's now going to be jumping into this um, creative scheduling. Now, in 2019 and 20, they're going to divide into two 10-team divisions. They're going to be sort of like Conference USA, but there's going to be a difference. After each team has completed 16 games, the conference will then be divided into four pods, and those four pods will have three teams each. Pod A will be teams one through three in the standings. Pod B is going to be teams four through six. Pod C is going to be 7 through 9, and Pod D is going to be 10 through 12. Each school will play the other two in its pod at home and away to round out the 20-game schedule. There's also a non-conference reservation of two games that will be available for peer conference opponents. You didn't see my air quotes. Peer conference opponents. You knew that things were going to start forming soon after Conference USA came out with their plan. Uh, I think Conference USA is still going to be the model. It feels like it's a little bit better thought out, other than how you answer the travel considerations. But I don't think the travel considerations are the factor here. It's the quality of opponent that they're reaching for. And at least you know if Marshall finishes in that first pod, they're locked into a higher standing. They can't fall out. I like that. Now, you know how I feel about the Bulls, right? You know that I'm not a big fan of the wealth of Bulls we have and that teams with losing records can get in. Well, somebody at the Pac-12 seems to have my mentality because the presidents have approved a rule that will require football teams to win at least six games to be eligible for the postseason. I'm down with this rule right now. Their commissioner says that the new rule will maintain the quality of competition for bowl season while providing 
their fans around the country with the most exciting games featuring their leading Pac-12 teams. Now, Washington State's football coach throwing out this, saying that um, he's kind of questioning the wisdom of the decision, calling it a solution, searching for a problem. And he added that if we have a 5-7 and seven team lucky enough to make a bowl, they could probably use the practice and the players would probably appreciate the chance to play another game. Why should we limit opportunities when other conferences aren't? Well, that's a fair criticism. At the same time, I like this. I would limit postseason opportunities. It just doesn't feel special to me anymore. Everybody gets into a bowl. If you don't get into a bowl game, that's saying something about your program because there are so many opportunities. But the Pac-12 going in a different route today. So everyone's trying to do different things. I think Conference USA actually pretty smart by putting out what they were doing for basketball. Hey, it feels good. Conference USA might be on the forefront, first and foremost, of some new changes here for a change. When we come back from break, we're going to talk to Matt Geica from Pittsburgh Hockey Now. He's been following the Stanley Cup. Of course, he covers the Pittsburgh Penguins as a beat, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about what happened last night. We'll get his thoughts on everything involving the Stanley Cup. Later on, we're going to talk some Marshall baseball. It's all coming up on today's edition of The Drive here on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Now, back to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Don't forget, you can always listen to the program on a delay basis. If you miss it live, you can always catch us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn. Of course, we're just wherever you get your podcast. And if you are listening to the show, don't forget, leave us some feedback. Five stars. Always five stars if you're downloading especially from apple podcast let's now talk a little hockey joining us on the program we've got matt geica making his return from pittsburgh hockey now and of course matt's been following the stanley cup final as well because well you were hoping that vegas would beat washington am i am i correct there in that assertion only only because washington well it's not right for any pittsburgh fan to root for washington is that fair I just think Vegas was a slightly better story, uh, if I'm going to go that way. And thanks for having me again, Paul. And also, I'm familiar with so many of the Vegas Golden Knights from Marc-Andre Fleury to James Neal to even David Perron and, and Derek Englund. They're, uh, well, de facto captain. They don't have a captain, but he might as well be one being a Las Vegas native and all. And so, yeah, I was pulling for them more. And speaking of ratings, I don't know if I'd give this Stanley Cup final five out of five so far it has been interesting but i'm disappointed that it might end early i picked vegas in seven i suppose that's still in play but it's uh, it has been the case the last couple of games of of washington in my opinion getting every bounce and uh, they have not necessarily dominated in the the flow of play but if you look at the scoreboard they they sure have controlled things i'm glad you mentioned ratings because uh, the viewership uh, has been up for this series. I don't know how much longer that would last, but uh, it's definitely uh, after uh, this amount of games, it's uh, outpacing the Predators and Penguins and the Sharks and Penguins. Uh, viewership's been up. I think a lot of people maybe are discovering the Stanley Cup final because of the Vegas story. Washington, of course, is an interesting story as well. What do you think the big cause here are people uh, maybe finding the Stanley Cup a little bit more than they have in years past? 
Well, sure. Part of it is Las Vegas, and it has permeated the greater sports bubble, the sports sphere, whatever you want to call it, because of an expansion team making a final for the first time since 1967 when the Blues did it in the NHL. So that's brand new for so many people, for more than two generations of people. We've never seen anything close to this. So I understand that side of it. I also think from the Washington perspective, this is, I don't want to call it a sleeping giant of a market because they've tuned in for the Capitals, but they never got past the second round with this current group. So I'm sure there was a certain element of here we go again when they made the playoffs and then fell behind 2 nothing to the Blue Jackets in the first round. But for them to break through, beat the Penguins, you're getting some different fans following it now, some, some believers that didn't believe before. And that's a huge market. We're talking top five in the country we're aware about. So that's going to drive ratings to a great degree. And Washington fans in all pro sports haven't had a champion to root for uh, a championship season to follow since the Redskins in, what was it, 1992. So it has been, speaking of generations, more than a generation, no matter how you slice it up, for people from D.C., from uh, from Northern Virginia, that whole greater area, yeah, Baltimore has won something with the Ravens, but if you're a D.C. sports fan, it's been a long time coming. Meg Geike is our guest from Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Let's get into what happened last night. Now, I was hoping this would be a lot closer I felt like this was going to go seven, just like you. I was picking Vegas to to win this. But last night kind of gave me reason for pause because 6-2, Washington just came out, really asserted themselves. Everybody scored. What did you take away from that? I mean, you got T.J. Oshie on the board, Tom Wilson. Of course, uh, Holtby was uh, outstanding in net. Are we seeing just the experienced NHL team the guys who have been playing as a team longer and have more experience, even though their playoff history maybe wouldn't indicate that, finally uh, taking over? To those who, yeah, all due respect to those who are saying that, I don't think that's the case. I just think Washington is taking advantage of its opportunities more than Vegas. And maybe experience comes into play there. But at the same time, the boys on the Capitals didn't have a lot of good experience coming into this season, and Vegas has certainly done well this playoff year. So I think that cancels out. And I look at last night's first period. The, the Knights dominated, especially the first 10 minutes. James Neal hits the post on a wide-open net. He's a goal scorer. He's arguably their best sniper coming into the season, at least he was. Maybe now that's William Carlson, but he's one of your top two gunners. And if he can't put it into a wide-open 4 by 6 net, then uh, perhaps that's a bad omen, if you believe, in those kinds of things. Three more posts behind Braden Holby. The, uh, the goal frame has been kind to the Capitals' net miner, in addition to him being very solid. And then Washington scores on three of its four scoring chances. The scoring chances were 11-4 to Las Vegas after one period, and the score was 3 nothing Capitals. So that tells the story, and it, it ramped up that, um, if you want to call it luck, if you want to call it finishing or goaltending or just uh, the bounce of the puck, it, it ramped up that factor that's gone in, in the Capitals' favor so far and and we could look back at this series and if you look at shots if you look at shot attempts if you look at scoring chances it's all in vegas's favor not by a lot but they at least deserve to be in an even series here but deserve to at this point is it? it it comes down to results and you have to hand it to the capitals tj oshi you brought him up a fantastic finish kicking that puck to his stick in the low slot in a lot of traffic last night that gave the caps a one nothing lead and then after 
the Knights had scored two in the, in the third, rather, to come back and make it 4-2, make it interesting, and make it rather quiet in Capital One Arena. Oshie barrels down the left side, shrugs off Colin Miller, and, and puts it on a platter for Michael Kepney for the, uh, the insurance goal. So, yeah, Oshie came up big, and I've been impressed by him throughout the playoffs, so it's no real surprise there. I guess the the best um, stat line of the night maybe is Evgeny uh, Kazetnov because he had a four assist in this game. He's definitely uh, benefiting from what happened last night. Yeah, for all I say about Oshie, Kuznetsov, in my opinion, has been the Capitals' best player. He's been their most consistent player. I think he drove that win against the Penguins. He was the difference maker. Now, two years ago, when the Capitals were President's Trophy winners and lost to the Penguins, Kuznetsov didn't show up. But it was his first playoff run, willing to give him some leeway there. Now he's figured things out. He is under him in so many ways, and I'm, I'm so terribly impressed by his play. And he's taken the reins, in my opinion, as the number one center on the Capitals when it's been Nick Backstrom for the past decade plus. So we're seeing a changing of the guard there and a new star being born. And unless Alex Ovechkin goes off at the end of this series, I would vote Kuznetsov as my Conn Smythe Trophy winner, and that would be history. Well, it would be history for either guy. If Ovechkin wins it, uh, or if Kuznetsov wins it, they'd be one of them is going to be the first Russian-born Conn Smythe winner, and uh, Ovechkin on the verge of history as being the first Russian-born captain of a Stanley Cup winner. So either way, it's a great story. I don't mean to confuse people or, or uh, ignore that with what I said in the opening moments of this interview here, Paul. I, I think it's, it's awesome either way. And as I argued on Pittsburgh Hockey Now, uh, last night, yesterday, in a column, I think it's good for the Penguins and good for the rivalry because it, it spices things up and it, it doesn't put the two teams on an even keel, but it at least uh, makes this feud more legitimate. And uh, for a while, it was starting to peter out uh, with the Penguins always prevailing over the Capitals in the playoffs. So the Caps are one win away here. Not that it's over, but boy, uh, th- this, is, this is the time for the big money players for Washington to finish this thing off. Because that's not... He might have been the guy with the stat line, but ultimately, if Washington wins the Stanley Cup, all of a sudden we look at the legacy of uh, Ovechkin a little bit different now, and it's a little bit more pleasant of a reflection of his legacy with the Stanley Cup. doesn't matter if he has two, three, or four. The fact that he has one now, all of a sudden, things are a little bit better for him. Right. One is a lot more than zero. I'm not sure if two is a lot more than one in that case. So I agree with you there. And I don't agree with some who say, well, now this put him definitely in the Hall of Fame. He was already in the Hall of Fame. He's the most prolific goal scorer if you adjust for era, uh, perhaps of any generation. He's right there with Wayne Gretzky and Maurice Richard and, and, and all these guys who have lit the lamp over the years. Mario Lemieux had a good goal-per-game pace, an elite goal-per-game pace. Mike Bossy of the Islanders in the 80s. Ovechkin is there at the very least even with those gentlemen because of the way that he's put pucks in the net. And I've been impressed by his mid-career lift that he's achieved somehow, whether it be adjusting his game, whether it be uh, adapting to new line mates, or um, perhaps just uh, continuing to stick with what's worked for him over the years. He is always a high-volume shooter, but I don't want to call him a, a plugger in any way. He, he puts a lot of pucks on the net. He puts a lot of pucks hard into areas where it's difficult to stop. So he's the quintessential goal scorer of this era. And for me, it was no doubt uh, as of maybe even two years ago that he was going to make the haul. He might make 800, 900 goals. He might be, forget an era adjusted, he might be the most prolific goal scorer ever. You don't even have to 
say, well, this is a more defensive era, so we have to give him a bonus. He might not even need that, depending on how long he plays. So uh, he's in that spot for me already, and he was already a legendary player. But as we know, the team credentials burnish someone's resume to, uh, to a different degree. And I admit, even if I'm looking at him individually, I think about him differently now that I've seen him uh, throughout his career. He's been a good playoff performer, but now we get to see it for an extended stretch for two months, him doing this. And it just gives all of us who don't watch the Capitals every day a greater appreciation of his talents. And that's a good thing, no doubt. It feels like also the argument's different when it comes to hockey compared to NBA. Everyone's talking about who's the greatest in basketball, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. You don't have that level of argument when it comes to hockey players because it feels like greatness is recognized. The Stanley Cup helps elevate that greatness, but already we recognized uh, Alex Ovechkin as one of the greats, and he definitely has the resume to back it up. Doesn't need a championship to for us to appreciate him as a player, but again, it does help. I've said this a lot this spring on my radio show and on shows like yours, Paul. Basketball is so different. It's hard to compare, especially in terms of the individual versus the team. And with LeBron, it wasn't entirely fair before he won a championship to say that he wasn't even coming close to greatest of all time status. But you have more influence over a game as a star in basketball, as any single player in basketball. But you can force feed the ball to LeBron every possession down the court if you want, if you're the Cavs, to give yourselves the best chance to win doesn't work that way in hockey. The bounces of the puck are different. It's tougher to navigate defenses. You only play maybe a little more than a third of the game these days, close to a half of your defenseman. But if you're a forward, it's like 20 minutes a game that you're out there and can have an impact as opposed to nearly every minute of every game if you're a star in, in the NBA especially. So there are, are key differences there. And that's why in basketball it does make more sense to tie legacy to team accomplishments but in hockey, I'd argue in football, too, you have a guy like Dan Marino. Yeah, the quarterback's the most important position, but he can't do it all. He can't both throw and catch his pass. And you see a similar type of a phenomenon in hockey. I'd argue in hockey it should be the most um, team-oriented uh, adjustment that we make here just because of, uh, of how random the sport can be at times. Yes, quality tends to win out over the long run, no matter the sport, but less so in this sport. And that can be more frustrating if you are a fan of stars influencing the outcomes, or if you're a team like the Penguins have been that has more than its share of stars, or it can be more enjoyable if you, if you like your sports to be more about the team and more having everyone get it, getting a chance to contribute, but definitely hockey and baseball um, with the way that the lineup works and starting rotations work are the two sports where a player can be truly great without needing that validation of a deep playoff run or a championship. Matt Geica is our guest from Pittsburgh Hockey now. Matt, uh, where do we go from here? Game elimination time is up now, so we are coming up on game five, six, and seven. Does Vegas make the three-game run here, or is this one almost over? I don't know about the three-game run. and In fact, if you're a betting person, you're only getting five-to-one odds in Vegas. Uh, Ironically, the, the odds aren't too friendly for you to make some money there. Traditionally, in the history of the NHL, teams have come back from 3-1 to win about 10% of the time. And uh, so 5-1 to doesn't quite give you enough value there if you are looking to lay some money down. But I would not be shocked if it happens, just because, like I said, Vegas hasn't embarrassed itself. You could say maybe at the end of this past game it got out of hand, and it did. But 
they've been right there with Washington. And if a couple more of these pucks go in, if maybe uh, Marc-Andre Fleury makes one or two spectacular saves at key points of these games, then it could easily go the other way. That being said, I'm not going to pick that to happen. I'll pick Washington to win the Cup, but I think it at least goes to game six. And uh, I think you see a huge Vegas push, as you would imagine, on home ice coming up here on Thursday night. And for once, for the first time since game one, which seems like an eternity ago now, it, it all pays off for them. And they do convert. And they give those fans who've had so many outstanding moments to cheer for in their first year um, as fans of the NHL franchise, I think this team gives the, that group uh, one more win to celebrate here before I'm going to go with the Capitals in six at this point, just uh, because of the, the law of averages and the fact that this series has been relatively close no matter what you might look at. Matt Geinka from Pittsburgh Hockey Now before we let Matt go. Of course, uh, you're not done on Pittsburgh Hockey Now. You just don't close up shop when the Penguins are no longer playing. You've been at it every day. Well, yeah, myself, and I give a lot of credit to my co-owner, Dan Kingerski. He's been firing off the analysis, and I mentioned the column I wrote about the Capitals, and if they win, does it actually help the Penguins in some odd, perverse way, some might say. So, yes, we're... We're still rolling away here. Shelly Anderson, in fact, uh, just posted a story about former Penguin Joe Vitale and his struggles with post-concussion syndrome. I'd suggest everyone listening go take a look at that. That applies across sports, whether it be football or basketball or baseball or soccer. Concussions are part of the uh, part of the uh, the general uh, scene for, for sports, if you follow or if you play. So we have that there, still continuing the reporting. We are trying to stay on top of the Phil Kessel situation, whether he gets traded or not. It seems like the Penguins are definitely fielding offers on trade talks there. So it's all at PittsburghHockeyNow.com. The draft is coming up. That's typically when a lot of deals get made. And with Jim Rutherford in charge, we know he likes to, if not tinker, then make a big move. I'm not sure which way he might go, but I'd suggest continuing to follow it for the next couple of weeks as we build up to the draft in Dallas. And then free agency starts on July 1st, so that's not too far away. You're going to be at the draft, right? Front front row, center? I don't know about front row, but yes, we will be there for PHN. And looking forward to that. I've never been to the Lone Star State, believe it or not, in all my travels in this business. One I have yet to check off. Matt Geica from Pittsburgh Hockey Now. Matt, good catching up with you. Thanks for doing this, and we'll talk to you soon. Well, Paul, it's always good to be with you. Good to be on the air in West Virginia once again. And like I said, looking forward to at least two more games. We'll see how it goes, but I appreciate you bringing me on all season long. That's Matt Geica, Pittsburgh Hockey Now. It's the website. When we come back from break, we're going to talk a little Marshall baseball. We have got a, well, let's put it to you this way. One of the biggest names ever in baseball is Johnny Bench. Now we have a Johnny Bench finalist joining us on the program. Ronaldo Pastrana joins us next here. It's The Drive, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. You're listening to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Don't forget you can keep up with us on Facebook. All you have to do is search and then like The Drive with Paul Swan. Of course, you can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Paul Swan. Welcome back to the June 5th edition. It is The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. And, of course, uh, this is like Christmas for a lot of baseball players right now. Of course, of course, the draft's going on also. Uh, we're starting to see some of the postseason awards come out. 
And we got the good news that Marshall Thundering Herd junior catcher Ronaldo Pastrana named a Johnny Bench Award finalist. Well, he's with us now on the program. And first of all, congratulations. That's a big deal to be named the finalist for any award, especially the Johnny Bench Award. Yeah, I mean it's it's a blessing, man. I I I didn't know I was I was gonna get in it. So so yesterday, it was a I mean there was a lot on that board, you know. What do you know about Johnny uh, Bench? Um, I know a lot of people, um, you know, growing up my age, you know, we're all big Johnny Bench fans. Who's growing up with him in that era? Someone who's a little bit younger, when you hear you're a finalist for an award, that's great, and you hear it's Johnny Bench. What does that mean to you? I mean, just getting put under the same name as Johnny Bench is it's an honor, you know. I mean, I'm I'm a little I'm a little younger than Johnny, like Johnny Bench era, but. I mean, just hearing great things. My grandfather, my my father, they they used to watch him play back in the day. And I mean, it's just a great honor. And and Johnny Bench, of course, one of the greatest catchers to ever play the game. Just just a blessing, man. Was he somebody uh, as you were growing up? Uh, you look back on, or did you have someone else who was more of an influence on uh, the way you play your game today, or you wanted to be like? Uh, I mean, I like uh, I like. Uh, I I like to base my game off of Yadier Molina from the Cardinals. That's always been a big, big uh, inspiration for me. And but I mean Johnny Bench, he's <laughs> like I said, he's one of the best to ever do it. But I I've seen video of him play before, but I've never really seen seen him in a game. So it was, it'd be hard to like imitate his, some of his styles. But I mean nowadays, just watching Yadier Molina all the time, and that's who I really look up to. But, I mean, Johnny Bench is just one of the best to ever do it. Now, you're a finalist, which is a great honor in itself, and hopefully you're going to walk away with that. But even uh, if you don't, the future's so bright for you right now. Just looking at the season you had for Marshall, um, you, you led Thundering Herd baseball in batting average, uh, runs, hits, home runs, RBI, your slugging percentage. Um, you were pretty amazing as a catcher, 17 of 37 runners attempting to steal against you, did not have success. Um, talk about, if you will, your game this year and, and just what was it about what how it felt out there just to, to elevate your game so so highly this year? I mean, it, it all starts in the offseason and just training hard and working towards your weaknesses and, and improving your strength. I mean, I, I had a – I had a – I struggled last year, and and that that just humbled me, and I just went back to work and just worked on everything I needed to work in, work on, uh, especially my body. That was the biggest difference for me this year. I lost thirty pounds this off season, just quick, you know, just quicker with my movements, uh, trying not to get tired throughout the year, especially catching so many games. So that was a big part for me, just working out in the off season, uh, eating right, getting healthy. So that was the biggest part, and I mean, it, it showed throughout the year. I mean, I was pretty consistent catching games, uh, trying trying to stay healthy, and I, I did a good job with that. Now, your numbers were good enough to get you to Conference USA's first team. Another honor for you, and uh, that's really saying something because I'm I'm pretty sure it's kind of hard to play for Marshall baseball. It's a tough conference to begin with, and. You know, maybe Marshall just doesn't get the respect that it should as a baseball team, and to make Conference USA first team that had to be a big thrill for you. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always, always a challenge playing at Marshall, especially not having the field, uh, home field to call ours. But it's something something that humbles you and something that you take with you forever, knowing the struggles that you go through every single day of driving the, driving the field, having to change somewhere that's not your own locker room. Like, But it's it's something that humbles you and you're, you're truly going to appreciate the, the little things more. Speaking of getting to the next level, of course, uh, we're all hoping that we we see your name come up uh, sooner than later. You know, the draft is going on, and you know, where do you feel that you fit in in this draft? Uh, you know, you you think you've got a, a legitimate shot here? A lot of people think you do. Uh, I mean, I, I I was talking to my my advisor earlier today, and and I was I was projected to go. And that's that's all right. You never know with the draft. It's a lot of talent out there, and a lot of teams need, and the teams need. You know, you never you never really know. It's it's never guaranteed unless you're a top top two rounder. You know. So we're just we're just waiting and seeing. I mean, just trusting the process. Just another opportunity that that arises. Do you have anywhere you you would love to end up? I'm, I'm sure any team that takes you, you're going to be happy with, but. Is there a particular team that you're hoping that okay maybe they'll call me up and I'll get to go live a, a dream come true? Uh, I mean, anywhere I go, it's gonna be a dream come true. And I I, I don't have one uh, particular team. I just I just want to be on a team that I can help win and hopefully get to the big leagues sooner than later. With everything that's happened at Marshall in your career, um, if you would talk about Coach Wags. He um, he has this ability to, with very little resources, help elevate players to the next level. How has he helped you improve your game and put you where you have a real opportunity now to take it to the next level? Uh, I mean, Coach Wagner has been a big part of my success. I mean, he's he's pushed me ever since I was a freshman. I mean, coming in, I was I wasn't very very physical. I wasn't very my body was not right and we just we just went to work and and he's been a really big part in my my success like I said he's uh he's been a really he's been an inspiration honestly he's the way he he handles this situation and stuff I mean uh, it, uh, we've gone we've gone along ever since I got there yeah obviously you didn't come to Marshall for facilities you came because of people and personnel and uh would you have done it over again if um, you know now going through it? Would you've gone somewhere else, uh, or were you pretty happy with the way things turned out for you so far at Marshall? I mean, a lot of guys say that they'd do something else, but I mean, I'm I'm happy with with my decision. I mean, I I got there ever since I was a freshman. I was treated right, and I was put in the position to be be one of the best best to ever come out of there. And I I think I. I've done a good job throughout my years there, and and I've, I like to thank the coaching staff as well because they've they've been a big part of it. Joining us, I'd, I'd definitely go ahead. Go ahead. I'd definitely do it again if if it were if the situation arises arrives again. Joining us on the program, Marshall University, thundering her junior catcher Ronaldo Pastrana. So the draft is still a thing right now, and of course uh, the postseason accolades for you and. You know, you've gotten everything you possibly could so far out of Marshall. We talked about facilities, and 
How important do you think it is for the future of Marshall University for that to finally happen? Uh, I mean, you, you were able to elevate yourself, and obviously, again, you didn't come here for facilities, but just if you could, as a player, could you talk about how important that would be in the future for the, the next generation of Marshall players to see finally some progress on getting Marshall a true home field? I mean, it's not going to happen in my time there, and uh, and I expect that. But but I mean, it'd be a, it'd be an honor just having having a, a field, you know, trying to. I mean, if I if I make it somewhere big, I, I'd definitely give back. That'll be the first first place I think about, and I'm I'm always gonna come back and and be thankful for everything I've had, you know, because they they treated me very right, and and that's definitely a place that should have a should have a field, you know, it's uh. It's just a grind. Going to Marshall is a grind every year. You've got classwork, of course, travel. You're you're always on the road, it, it feels like. Uh, but being on the road, I'm sure you've got a unique opportunity. Because, well, you get to bond with a lot of your guys, probably more so, and probably get to see some guys a lot more than you wanted to some days. I'm sure that was a, a fun adventure every time. Yeah, yeah, I mean – just being on the road all the time, you know, it's a, it's a struggle with schoolwork and stuff because we have to play our games away from home. We have to take all our stuff on, on the road. But it's it's something you get used to throughout the years. Well, congratulations on being named a Johnny Bench finalist. Uh, that's a huge honor in itself. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people talking about you, and hopefully the next level is going to be uh, right there waiting for you. And um, if – if baseball doesn't uh, work out for you, what's next for you? Uh, have you thought that far yet? Um, I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> Baseball's my livelihood, you know, and uh, hopefully I can I can do something with it. But if if not, I'd I'd get on that really quick. And uh, I've, I mean, my father is a big big part of my life, and he's he's very successful. So I'd I'd probably go in his direction. Joining us on the program, Marshall Thundering Herd Jr. Catcher, Ronaldo Pastrana. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate you doing this. Good luck. I hope uh, we're talking about you uh, making it with the team real soon. And uh, I hope here in a few weeks we're talking about you being a Johnny Bench winner. Uh, let's, see, let's see what happens, hopefully. Congratulations. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll take our next break. We'll come back, and we'll open up the phone lines for you, 877-420-TALK, 877-420-8255. we got more on the way. It's The Drive, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. Now, back to The Drive with Paul Swan on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930. To be a part of the program, all you have to do is call 877-420-TALK, 877-420-8255 to be a part of the drive here on ESPN, 94.1 FM and AM 930. I'm your host, Paul Swan, and we've got a, a lot coming up in the next few days. Um, of course, we're going to see what happens with the Cavaliers. I think it's almost done for them, almost. The Vegas Golden Knights have an opportunity here to try to get back into this series. But with everything that's happening, um, I'm still um, I'm still wondering why we've gotten so political here with sports. And, and I don't want to go too deep into this, but LeBron, he's trying everything he possibly can to 
to get this to a uh, a series and hopefully win the championship. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen the way things have happened for him, but again, it's getting political today because, well, if you haven't been following, the White House and President Trump uninvited the 2018 Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles to the White House, well, due to lack of interest, I'm sure, on their part. Not that many people were coming. It's going to be a small delegation. There were a few people who were interested, but apparently size matters when you are the president these days, and it just wasn't big enough for him to come out on the lawn. So that was canceled. That was rescinded. And now this came up during you know, interview time, and LeBron James weighed in on this. And LeBron is not shy. It doesn't matter if he's winning or losing. He knows that people are paying attention. And LeBron said that neither his Cleveland Cavaliers nor the Golden State Warriors would accept the visit as winner of the NBA Finals. He said that, I know no matter who wins this series, no one wants an invite anyway. It won't be Cleveland or Golden State going. And that's what he said during a news conference today. Um, I think the rescinding of the Eagles' invitation maybe did more harm than good. It's not good optics anyway. I mean, there were a few people who wanted to show up that were going to come as the Eagles' representation. And the White House learned, yeah, not that many people were coming. Not that many pl- players were coming. Um, there were a large group that decided, look, we're not, we're not coming. And NFL Network reported that less than 10 players were expected to attend. I think the best way to handle this would have been just, okay, let those players come. You know, it's a low-key affair. Congratulations, you won the Super Bowl. Then here it is. It's over with. But I remember a long time ago, I'm not that old of a fan compared to some, but it was a big deal. And I'm sure it was a big inconvenience as well, but... Always when something major happened, a major sports milestone maybe, or winning a championship, that it had a little bit more weight when you got the invitation to the White House. The politics weren't getting in the way of sports, it felt like, at that time. And, of course, the NFL is um, really, right now, not the favorite of the president, the way that he's been attacking the league and bullying the league and using it for his own causes, uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, however you may feel here. But the the whole White House visit, I think, might just go away. If not in this presidency, it's probably going to get phased out eventually because right now players don't seem to feel that there's any value to the White House visit. They've won a championship. That's what they're playing for and that's what they're working for. And there's just no honor or there's just no excitement to go and be validated by the White House. So we might see that phased out here eventually. I mean, on a slow news sports day, yeah, it's always neat. Hey, the champions are today at the White House visiting. And, you know, in the past, maybe it was a great opportunity for a lot of people to go to the White House. You know, you're going to see a head of state, doesn't matter the head of state, party affiliation, didn't matter, you know, love the guy or hate the guy, you'd always go and there would be good representation. But I don't think this is going to be um, a 
exception. I think this is going to be the rule from now on here that you might see this thing just phased out, at least in this administration. I mean, why make these invitations if nobody's going to come? And it's, I think it looks bad. You invite someone to the White House and there's just no thanks, but no thanks here. Uh, it, I wanna, don't want to say it lessens the, the White House because this is more of a response to the person in the party occupying the White House right now. But at the same time, I remember seeing uh, what was Johnny Bench get, he get the phone call from the president. And you see the president uh, make that phone call. And, of course, nobody could hear each other because phone connections weren't that good. I mean, you get a phone call from the president. I'm sure you try to take it. But uh, the invitation to the White House doesn't seem to be a thing anymore. For producer Gabriel Juan, thanks for listening. This has been The Drive on ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 930.